Y'all do me a favor, let's walk down memory lane together just for a minute, just get started. Growing up, I used to ride my bike to the local video store with a pocket full of change that I had collected out of the seat cushions from the couch. Some of y'all remember doing that. And I would feed the Galaga machine. How many of y'all remember the video game Galaga? Let me see. Yep. Loved it. Man, still one of my favorite all-time games. Um, And then once I had spent half my money on Galaga, then I would jump on my bike and I would ride over to the Tasty Freeze. Anybody remember the Tasty Freeze? Anybody? Oh, a few of y'all. Okay. Um, Tasty. Okay. Even if you don't, you remember uh, the song Jack and Diane? They were sitting outside sucking on a chili dog outside the Tasty Freeze. Diane sitting on Jack. Okay. We'll leave it right there. We'll leave it right there. Sorry. Good song. Got taken away. Jack and Diane. Okay. I didn't have a Diane sitting with me. I was 10 years old at the Tasty Freeze, but They did have Super Mario Brothers, which to a 10-year-old was just as good, right? Loved Super Mario Brothers, played it all the time. If I had all that change that I had put in Galaga and Super Mario Brothers at that time, if I had invested it, I guarantee I'd be a millionaire now. But when I turned 10, I still remember the day that my parents bought me a Nintendo. They were brand new And I had one, and now I could try and try and try as hard as I wanted to to beat Bowser in Super Mario Brothers and to score the highest score on Galaga, all that I wanted. And the best part was, is being able to play it enough to get to the next level. Like, that's what, I could play it over and over and over and over again and try to get ahead without putting in more coins or until, instead of like running out of time. And that's, that's the point of it, right? Is imagine playing a video game or anything in life and never being able to get out of the first level. That would stink. That's not what games are there for. Games are meant to be conquered, right? You're meant to level up. Now, why am I talking about this? It's because this is, in this series that we're in, I feel like this is kind of applicable to life. It kind of resembles our daily routines. It's easy to feel like we're stuck. We're just stuck on the same level of play when it comes to life. Not really moving forward, not really getting anywhere, and that leaves us kind of desperate in life, wanting so much more and not really being able to get it. You see, I believe that God wants more for you. I believe that God wants you to level up, to make it to that next level, to have an exceptional Life And so what I've been trying to get us to do over the past few weeks is to really kind of look at the world a little differently and kind of assess things around us. Because when you do, when you give things a good evaluation, I guarantee you that you'll find that what's average, right, what's common, what this world does, the way the world goes about their business and their daily routines isn't working. And it's one of the big reasons that we get stuck or we feel stuck in life. And and, and if we just go along with the world, if we just go along with what's always been or what everybody else is doing, then it leaves us spiritually empty. It leaves us saying to ourselves, there's got to be more to this life, right? There's got to be another level. There's got to be something more for me. There's got to be something better. Is it so bad for us to want something better in life? No, I don't think so. Again, I think God wants more for you. I think he does. I think he has more planned for you. 
I think he wants us to level up. So with all that being said, we've been looking at the teachings of Jesus the past couple of weeks and how he constantly calls his followers to be different, right? In fact, everything he taught, everything he did, the way that he lived his life was different. It wasn't normal. It was breaking away from what everybody else was doing. It was different then, and it's still different today. And if you were with us the first week, I, I, I started with that scripture teaching where Jesus says that there's two roads in life, right? There's the main road, there's the big road, there's the normal road that everybody travels, that the group is on. But then Jesus says there's this narrow road. There's a narrow road, and only a few actually find it. But that narrow road is what leads to life. It, it, it's what leads to an exceptional life. It's, it's what leads to deeper and deeper levels of knowing who God is. I remember uh, one time visiting my uncle out in Wyoming, just above Laramie, Wyoming, and we crossed over what he referred to as the snow line. Now, I don't know if this is legit, but it kind of reminded me of the Nat line. Y'all know the Nat line here in Georgia? In fact, if you need a reason to thank God today, thank him that you live above the Nat line, right? Whew, you can really tell a true southerner in Georgia because they don't swat gnats, they blow gnats. Have you ever, the whole time. Anyway, sorry, y'all. I'm going to have a hard time staying on track this morning. I don't know what it is. Anyway, he lived above the snow line, what he called the snow line, and that's because he said that it would start snowing early fall and it wouldn't melt till late spring. Lots and lots and lots of snow. How many of y'all does that sound like an exciting place to live? Let me see. Raise your hands. All right. How many of y'all are like those people that just raised their hand are crazy? Yes. Lots of snow. I like to visit it, but I like to leave it where it is. Um, but at a certain point on this main road, it gets blocked off. And the reason is because if you keep going on that main road, no matter what you drive, no matter what you're in, you're going to end up stuck. You'll need to be rescued. But if you find off the main road, my uncle had a smaller road. And if you find that smaller road, and if you make that turn, and if you get on that road, that road led to cabins, it led to snowmobiles, it led to this amazing lodge with a huge moose head in it that was so cool and just the, most, the best scene. It led to life in the middle of all the snow. But again, the only way to get there is to listen to my uncle's directions and get off that main road. And to find that smaller road. You see, I use that as an example because the first week we looked at the verse that says that Jesus said that most people actually stay on the main road in life. And we follow everybody else and we do what's always been done. And we look at what the world has to say and offer us and we stay along with the crowd. And when we do, that's where we get stuck. But Jesus says we got to be different enough to find that narrow road. That narrow road that he offers, right? That's the one that leads not just to life, but an exceptional life. So what we've been doing is we've been talking about the broad road versus the narrow road. We've been talking about what's common versus what's exceptional. And today, to keep this conversation going, what I want to do is I want to talk about the common view of religion versus an exceptional view of religion. So let's start with common view of religion. This is what the world thinks. This is the way most people travel this road. Most people view religion as this great attempt for us to reach God. In other words, to be religious means that you are distinguished by what you do. Like, what do I believe? What do you believe? And then what do you have to do in order to get God? I would say that the, 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 the normal way to look at religion is that there's this spiritual climb up a mountaintop where God is at the top, right? And the majority 
of people, the majority of religions would say that every religion has their rules and regulations on how we climb that mountain to reach God. So when people ask me about church, or when people ask you about what do you believe, what, do you, you know, what about your religion, a lot of times what they want to know is what do you do? Like, what do you do? And that's because the rest of the world is so great at reducing religion down to a bunch of do's and don'ts. Now, if the normal worldview teaches us to think in these terms, and if we behave this way, if we believe that it's all about what we do and what we say, right, then we may actually believe and we may actually think that we're good enough to climb that mountain to reach God, right? And this common view is reinforced by everybody, a lot of religious people, because we make it. We tend to focus on it, and we love to make a big deal about what we do and how we do it. People brag all the time, especially religious people. For instance, when it comes to prayer, you know, certain religions say that you have to face a certain way or pray a certain amount of times or how you pray. It needs to be done in this way. It's all about what you do. Some denominations, when it comes to when you worship, some believe that there's only one day that you can truly worship. You got to do worship and you got to do it on this day. We're going to celebrate baptisms this afternoon. And there are some people that believe... And some denominations that teach that there's only one way to baptize, right? It's about this is how you do it. In, the, in our church, we, we'll sprinkle, we'll dunk, we'll pour, whatever. But there are denominations that say it doesn't count unless you do it this way. And we focus on the do. And I'm not going to name those. I'm not going to point anybody out, but <laughs> Baptist. Um, anyway, <laughs> sorry, y'all. I got something in my throat. Um, I'm just teasing, kind of. Um, but, you know, it's easy, right? And I point out a couple of different religions, a couple of different denominations, but we all do it. It's easy to get swept up in this idea that it's all about what I do and how I do it. And if I behave this way, then maybe, just maybe, I can please God. Maybe, just maybe, I'll level up myself. And I'll climb up that mountain. And if I do enough and I behave the right way... I really can reach God at the top of this mountain. You see, what's common is to make religion focused on the rules. An exceptional view, though, of religion is when we focus on the relationship. And we're after exceptional. We're not after normal. We're not after what's common. We want to level up. Now, having said that, let me just pause and reiterate the fact that it is good to do good for God. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it is good to do our best for God. We are called to live a certain way, right? But the idea that I want to express to you today, the exceptional view is why we do what we do, right? What's in our hearts and what motivates me? That's what I want to talk about this morning. So for our scripture today, I want us to look at a time that the Apostle Paul came against this average view of making it all about what we do, that average view of religion. And he actually owns up to making it all about performance and nothing, nothing about the relationship with God. But he said something really grabbed a hold of him when he met Jesus. Jesus changed his life and brought a new view in how he approached God. And we're going to read this together. It's in Philippians chapter 3. So if you got your Bibles and you want to turn and follow along with me, you got your Bibles on your phone, it's going to be Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translations. Also, if you got your message notes, it's printed on your message notes, everybody online. 
you can find the message notes on our app and follow along as well. Let's, let's read this in this transformation that Paul went through. Verse 4, he says this. I could have confidence in my own efforts. If anybody else could, I could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their efforts and what we do, I have even more. So let me give you a little background here. Let me tell you what Paul is getting at. Paul's writing to the Philippians, and there was a certain group of church people that were making everybody focus on the rules. They were like, you know, it's good to know Jesus, it's good to love Jesus, but don't you dare forget about the Ten Commandments, and don't forget about circumcision, right? And don't forget about temple worship, and all these types of things, which is not wrong, right? And while they weren't necessarily wrong, what was problematic, though, is that they were teaching this is, this is what it's all about. Like this, do this, do this, do that. And then maybe. When there's so much more to being a Christ follower. Which is great temptation to make it more about doing for God rather than being with God, right? So the idea back then, the idea is still today, we still do this today, is that we keep a ledger, right? We keep a ledger and we got Jesus at the top of the page and then we got our right column is good works Left column is bad works. And the idea is we want more good than bad, right? We, we, we got to level out life. So I got to do more good than bad. Then maybe, maybe God will like me. Then maybe I'll get closer to God. Or maybe, maybe I'll even get into heaven one day, right? So this is how they thought then. This is still kind of how we think today, the common view. So Paul comes along. And he's going to teach them a lesson. And he says, I hear you bragging about your good deeds. Okay, so... He looks at them and he's like, you think your right side is so good? Like, you think you've got good deeds? You think you know what it's like to do and do and do for God? He's like, you don't know nothing. It's kind of like this. Paul was the best. Paul was the best at what he did. It's kind of like, uh, like this. How, how many of y'all are so excited for football season you can't stand it? Let me see. Raise your hands. Yes. Majority of the people are my people. Love football. I can't wait for football. Let me ask you this, though. How many of you, be honest, how many of you have ever heard in the NFL a guy's name, Blaine Gabbert? Does anybody know who Blaine Gabbert is? All right, we've got a couple hands. Okay, a couple. Do you know why most of y'all don't know who Blaine Gabbert is? It's because last year he was the backup quarterback for Tom Brady. How many of y'all know who Tom Brady is? Everybody in here, right? Chances are you know Tom Brady, countless Super Bowls, MVP, blah, blah, blah. Now, guess what? Offseason, this guy, Blaine Gabbert, he gets traded. He gets traded in the offseason. Guess whose team he's on now? Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> so, you're probably thinking, yay, fine. Oh, Patrick Mahomes. He's another one, right? You know Patrick Mahomes. Even if you don't know, you know who he is from the State Farm commercials. He got that new Netflix special that just came out. MVP, Super Bowl champion, all those kinds. Of... You're probably thinking to yourself, poor Blaine Gabbard, right? He's always second fiddle to the best. But I'm sure he's great. He was drafted. He went in the first round. He was the best in his college. I... But when Tom Brady steps on the field... When Patrick Mahomes steps on the field, nobody's thinking Blaine Gabbert, right? You see, Paul is the Tom Brady of religious people. Have you ever heard a preacher compare Paul to Tom Brady? I just did. <laughs> I think I get extra points for that one right there. But we know Tom Brady and we know Patrick Mahomes from what they've accomplished. 
they're the best at what they do, right? That's what makes them awesome, what they've done. Paul's like, listen, let me tell you what I've done. Let me unload these accomplishments on you. No one even comes close. (laughs) Verse 5, he says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew. Y'all think y'all are Hebrews. I'm a real Hebrew if there ever was one. He's like, I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without a fault. So... Paul just rattles these things off here. And here are some of the things that he points out. At the very beginning of verse 5, Brandon, if you go forward one more slide, you'll see he was circumcised. He brings this up. I was circumcised at eight days old. This is an Old Testament tradition. I'm not going to go into great detail about this. You should know what this is, okay? So this was a big deal, needed to be done. He's like, I've had it done, right? I traced my lineage back to the tribe of Benjamin. How many of you have ever traced your lineage back? Let me see. Raise a hand. Some of y'all have done it. It's cool to know, like, where we came from, families. All. So what they would do was that they would trace their lineage back, but they would go all the way back to the original 12 tribes of Israel. So Paul was like, I came from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin is the tribe that gave us the first king, King Saul. So he's like, King Saul is like my great, 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 granddaddy beat that right and so then he keeps going and he was like next slide he's like i was a member of the pharisees now in case you don't know what the pharisees are these are the top religious people okay by the time he was 12 he had to have so many books of the old testament memorized by heart and then by the time he was 15 he had to have the rest memorized by heart he had to memorize 300 prophecies for the coming messiah Right, He went to school longer than anybody, so he brings that up. He's like, I'm the best when it comes to what I know in the church. And if that wasn't enough, he goes, I've got the best record. You can't find any fault in my past. Do a background check. Check me out. I've never done anything. I've never done anything outside the will of God. So why bring all this up? It's because for the longest time, this is what Paul's doing. He's like, this is average, this is normal, this is what most people think. I made it all about what I do for God. And he thought to himself, this is what gained him God's favor. right? This is what I do to level up. This is what I do to gain God's admiration. right? This is why God loves me. Do you need me to tell you again? Because it's this and this and this and this. It's all wrapped up in what he did. This is common. For your first fill-in-the-blank, common view of religion is this is what we think. We think we ascend. Okay, that's what we think. That's what most people, this is what they thought back in Paul's day. This is what we still think today. But let me tell you, when we think about what we can do, when we make our motivation what we do, it only leads to two different things. There's two different results with this. Number one is that it leads to pride. It leads to pride. What do you think all this did for Paul? In these verses, it's almost like he's mocking himself for how he used to sound, right? I bet he could rattle these stats off. He was ready to go with this, and he would brag about it all the time. In fact, I bet it was kind of obnoxious when he did. I bet if you were standing in there and you heard Paul back when he used to follow this and he was bragging, you'd roll your eyes. And I bet you know some prideful, holier-than-thou type of people This is what they do. 
and they brag. And it leaves you feeling not so good because you don't feel like you do enough. So one day, Jesus tells a story that kind of illustrates this point. When we make it too much about what we do and not why we're doing it. So he tells a story about a prayer time at church. He says two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, again, the people like Paul, those religious elite. And the other was a tax man. Tax people, were, were, they were hated back in these days. I mean, they literally, when you read in scripture, it'll say sinners and tax collectors. Tax collectors were hated so much they couldn't be lumped in with sinners. They had their own designation, okay, for how bad people didn't like them back then. So the Pharisee posed and he prayed like this. And he said, oh God, I thank you. Not what you've done, not who you are. I thank you, he makes it about himself, I'm not like these other people. That I'm not like robbers and crooks and adulterers or, heaven forbid, the worst of the worst like this tax man right here. Because look at what I do, God. I fast twice a week and I tithe on all my income. And Jesus said, that's one man. Then the next man beside him, the tax man, he says, meanwhile, the tax man slumped in the shadows. His face in his hands, hum, humbling himself before God, not daring to look up. He said, God, give mercy. Forgive me, a sinner. So Jesus uses this story, and he's like, listen, listen. This is normal. This is a normal way to think about God, right? It's like the Pharisee. We place all the emphasis on what we do and not on our heart and not what God has done. But Jesus finishes this out and he's like, but the, but the tax collector, this so-called sinner, he actually had the better relationship with God. And the reason is because he was motivated on God, on what God is. He was motivated out of the relationship. He was motivated out of his heart. And the reason it was bad for this Pharisee is because he was prideful. But that's... That's what the common view of religion does. It either leads to two places. It leads to pride, or the second thing it leads to is despair. The second thing, when we make it all about the do's and don'ts, when we make it all about the rules, it leads to despair. I can't tell you how many times I hear people, they, get, they give up on religion. Right? They give up on their faith. They give up on Jesus because they just don't feel when we make it all about the do, well, then we feel like we can't do enough and it's too hard to do all of this, so I just don't care anymore. And I obviously can't do it. Why am I even trying? People tell me all the time, I can't read my Bible like I should. I feel terrible because I don't give every day at a certain time or this and I can't understand the names of the people I'm reading about and so they use that as an excuse to give up or I've tried to pray but I can't concentrate and my mind wanders to this or to that and I'm thinking about where I'm going for lunch and all this other stuff or I can't get in a journey group because if I get in a journey group and I ask a question then people are going to know just how little I actually know in scripture and I feel bad about these things and we know what this is like. We know what it's like to feel worthless. But this is the idea. When we make it all about the do's and the don'ts, when that's our motivation, it leads to just two places. It leads to pride and despair. I remember this story being told of a preacher 
that had a guest speaker come to talk on the Bible, on the different books of the Bible. And so the guest speaker got up to the front, and he, he asked the crowd, he was like, who wants to participate in a Bible drill? And the preacher thought to himself, ooh, this is my chance to let people see just how I want them to see how great of a preacher I am. They'll see they made a good choice when they hired me, so I'm going to win this Bible drill. And so he steps up with two other, three other people. And, and then the speaker said, all right, on the count of three, I want you to find Hezekiah chapter 1, verse 1. And he said, one, two, three, go. And they all started thumbing through the Bible as fast as they could. And the preacher's thinking to himself, eat my Bible dust, right? Like he's just flying through it. And he's thinking to himself, he's like, Hezekiah, it's an old, old Testament. You know, it's one of the minor prophets. And he's looking, but he can't find it. Sooner or later, the speaker said, how's it coming? Are y'all good? And he's like, yeah, I'm concentrating, I'm concentrating. And the, the speaker said, Hezekiah is not a book in the Bible. There's a king, Hezekiah. And when he said that, the preacher said it was like somebody dumped cold water on him. And he said, of course. He's like, Zechariah, Zephaniah, but there's not a Hezekiah. And this preacher said he went between these two in a matter of seconds. He was like, he went from pride to despair so quickly. And this is what happens. This is what happens when we use this as our main approach to God. But I want to read you what Paul found out, what Paul figured out. He says in verse 7, he says, I once thought these things, these things, what I do and all this stuff, they were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. So Paul flips his thing. He's like, now I've learned it's not just about what I've done or what I'm doing. It's all about what Christ has done. It's all about what Christ is doing in me. So verse 8, he says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, his sake, because of him, this is why I do. I have discarded everything else in life and I count it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. This is how I'm leveling up. This is how I became one and become one with him. So Paul keeps going and he describes this different approach to God. Paul's like, I'm no longer focused on what's common. Man, I'm going to switch gears here. And now I'm focusing on my relationship with Christ. Now I consider everything that I did before, all of this other stuff was worthless when compared to what Jesus has done. And that's key. In fact, he goes a step further when he talks about the things that he's done in life. He uses a word called garbage. Some of your translations, when you read this later, if you're reading online right now and, and you're um, in a different translation, some of y'all say rubbish. Some of y'all's may actually say dung. And the reason for that is because this is a very tame way of describing what's in verse 8. It's actually the word skubala, which is animal or human waste. Paul is saying, I now have this new reality. He's like, everything I've done compared to what Jesus, why would I make it all about me anyway? Everything that I do is nothing. It's worthless compared to the sacrifice and what Jesus has done for me. So this exceptional view of how we level up, this exceptional view of God is to understand that God descended is the next fill in the blank. The exceptional view is that God descended. And when we do this, we're motivated by the relationship. And his new reality, now he didn't want to be motivated by the rules anymore. He wanted to be motivated by God's love. 
And the fact that God wants a personal relationship with us. So he keeps going. He says, listen, here's how he closes out. He says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. I can't do it. Rather, here's how I level up. Here's how I gain righteousness. Here's how I get to know my God more. I become righteous through faith in Jesus. Through putting all my trust. Everything I have in him. You see, I got, I got to make it. Paul's like, now, I, I, listen. This is, exceptional, this is an exceptional way to view things. And I know it's going to change the way that you view religion and God and everything. But I got to make it all about Christ. I got to make it about my faith in him. And he drills down on this. And he says, I can't count on being righteous all the time. And you know why? Because none of us can. Not even Paul. We mess up all the time. I do and you do too. Everybody does. You, do you know what the reason um, the Bible says the Ten Commandments? One of the reasons the Ten Commandments were given to us is to realize that we can't measure up. The Ten Commandments, yes, were given to us to guide our lives, of course. But in the New Testament, it also says, you know what? The Ten Commandments actually prove to us that none of us are good enough because we break these rules all the time. And before you think that you don't break any Ten Commandments, let me go through a list, okay? Let's take a quiz. I've done this before. We're going to do it again. Is God always first in your life? Be honest with yourself. Have you put anything above Him lately, something you love a little too much? I have. I know that you have too. That's the first commandment. Have you ever taken something that didn't belong to you? Be honest be honest, how many times have you forgotten to give that pin back? I should go in your cars and see how many ridge pins you have. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, I know. Right? That's commandment number eight. All of y'all broke that one. Have you ever not told the truth in life? Maybe you didn't outright lie, but you didn't give all the facts. Or you exaggerated a little bit. That's commandment number nine. Have you slipped up and said a bad word lately? Maybe somebody told you some juicy gossip and you were like, oh my gosh. But you said God. That's commandment number three. You know what that makes everybody in here? A bunch of foul-mouthed, lying, thieving idolaters. That's what y'all are. A bunch of heathens. <laughs> y'all, y'all need to be in church. Welcome to the Ridge if this is your first Sunday. <laughs> Listen, I'm just trying to illustrate here our approach to God. It can't, and it shouldn't be based just on what we do. Again, it's good to do good for God. We serve God. We serve him. But again, the reason is behind the why. Why do we serve him? Why do we do what we do for God? It's not so I can gain better favor. He already loves me. He already loves you. He already proved that by dying on the cross for you. No, our motivation, right, the reason behind what we do is because of what God has done. See, we don't think of this God as some, something we can ascend to because we're not good enough. Instead, a better view is that God realized that. A better view is that God realized we can't do enough. So God, before creation was even existed, he asked, what can I do for you? And God put that plan into motion to send his son Jesus 
And it's his grace that makes us right. It's having faith in him. That's what our focus is. What's common is to think that if I do more, God might love me. But an exceptional way is to live with the understanding that God says I love you no matter what. And that's my motivation to level up. That's my motivation to serve him and to move forward. What's common is to make it all about me. As if I could ever do enough. Exceptional is to make it about what Jesus has done and what Jesus continues to do in our life. What's common is to live under bondage and the rules and the regulation, you know, just wrapped up in all of the do's and the don'ts and the despair that comes from that. An exceptional way to view our relationship with God is to understand that Jesus came to set us free. Scripture says that we're not just obedient to God, but we have joyful obedience. And the reason we're joyfully obedient is because we understand why we're doing what we do. The common way to ascend and climb the mountain of God does not work very well. An exceptional way is to view our God as one who actually descended and has come to us. He loves us that much. And when you get that, when that's your motivation, it's different. It's not what the world does, but it's exceptional. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you. And we praise you that you just shatter the norm in our lives. God, we are so grateful that you came to us, that you loved us enough to descend to die for us. God, there's truly no one like you. God, I just pray that you would break our hearts today. I pray that you would help us grasp the reality of who you are in light, who we are in light of who you are, God. That what motivates us is, is your love, your grace, God. Your grace is what transforms us. Your grace is what makes us better. And for that reason, God, it's for that reason that we put our faith in you, that we worship you, that we adore you, that we obey you, that we live for you. Jesus, we understand that the normal way to view this world, uh, world religion and everything, it doesn't get us anywhere. It just gets us stuck. It's too easy sometimes to make it about the doing instead of the being. Jesus, help us. We want to do our best for you, and we want to be on that narrow road with you. Help us to do that for the right reasons so that it doesn't lead to pride or despair. God, help us to accept your grace. Help us to live in and through your presence. God, we, we do what we do because of what you have done for us. And we are grateful. Jesus, we love you. We serve you. We give you our lives. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.